the Shipgold Friday Gold Wrap. Your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, August 19th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. All right, ladies and gentlemen, settle in for a little brain dump. You know, this week was pretty quiet as far as financial news goes. We did get a uh, a little bit of data that I'm going to go over, but since it was a little slower, I'm going to take this opportunity to touch on a few things that I have been wanting to get to but haven't had the time for because, well, basically the Fed keeps doing stuff. And this week, the Fed didn't do a whole lot, so I don't have to spend the entire show talking about uh, the central bankers over at the Fed. Now, we did get the minutes from last month's meeting, so I suppose I should touch on that real quick. You know, there weren't really any big surprises in the minutes, and there never are, but they were still talking about pushing interest rates higher to beat down inflation. Now, I'm really glad that they're finally taking the inflation fight seriously after months of calling it transitory. Now, of course, I have a feeling that all of this tough, we're in it to win it talk that we're getting out of the Fed now is going to go the way of the transitory narrative at the point that they can no longer deny that we're in a recession. Now, if you're listening to the Fed and trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do next, that's hard, right? It's it's kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall. All of their messaging is jello. And that's by design, of course. They want to leave themselves enough wiggle room and out while sounding very emphatic, you know, acting like they've got it under control and they've got a plan. We all know they don't have a plan. They're winging it. So the latest mantra that we saw in the uh this, these minutes is that um, right now they are data-driven. So what does that mean? Well, it means that they can look at whatever data they choose and then do whatever they want uh, based on how they decide to spend the data. Uh, so if you really think about what they're saying, they're saying, we're going to do something in the future. Uh, that, that's about how much we know. Um, now, Here's another interesting thing that was in the the minutes. They call the current 2.5% interest rate neutral. Now, this, of course, is absurd, right? It's still a highly accommodative interest rate policy. I mean, think about it. If 2.5% is neutral, then then that would mean 3% is tight. Yeah, no. When they get up close to the CPI, you know, when they get interest rates up to six, seven, eight percent, then we'll talk about neutral maybe. And and really not even then, because of course we know that the CPI is wildly manipulated and the real inflation level is like, you know, 16, 17, 18 percent. So a 2.5 is not neutral, but that's what they're saying. So, and again, that gives them an excuse so they don't have to go too terribly high, but they can still say we're tight so they can claim that they're fighting. Uh, inflation. I've mentioned this before, but I think a big part of what motivates these people is their own perception of themselves. You know, they, they've got to feel like they're credible. They they want to be able to go to the cocktail parties and, and have everybody and go, oh, yes, there's the, the central bankers from the Fed, and they're very astute and very intelligent, you know, when really they don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, so a lot of what they do is based on perception. And the, the minutes hint at that. Um, this line particularly jumped out at me. Participants judged that a significant risk facing the committee was that elevated inflation could become entrenched if the public began to question the committee's resolve to adjust the stance of policy sufficiently. 
So there you are. That's why they're still running around talking all badass. They want you to think they are OG, but I really, I think they're still going to turn tail and run the moment the economy really punches them in the face. So speaking of economic data, let's touch on a little bit that came in this week. Uh, Existing home sales fell 5.9% in July. That was the sixth consecutive monthly drop. Sales have fallen 20.2% year-on-year. That hit the lowest level since November 2015. Now, the housing market is an economic canary in the coal mine because it is extremely sensitive to interest rate manipulation. So that's going to be one of the first places you start to see the economy suffer as the Fed continues to tighten monetary policy. Also, leading economic indicators fell for the fifth month in a row. Um, That's a losing streak that we've not seen since the Great Recession of 2008. But don't worry, everything's fine because the job market is strong. By the way, there were 250,000 weekly jobless claims uh, this past week. The media breathlessly reported this is great news because uh, it was Ooh, 2,000 less than last week. But if you didn't already suspect it, 250,000 is a lot of jobless claims. Uh, Of course, when it comes to the mainstream financial pundit class, pretty much everything is good news. And that brings us to retail sales. For months, retail sales have generally come in higher than expected. And for months, The mainstream financial media has ignored inflation and told us that this signaled a strong economy. But in July, retail sales unexpectedly fell flat. Now the mainstream financial punditry claims this signals a strong economy. See, it's always good news. Now the funny part is these people suddenly discovered that price movements impact retail sales. This is an important little factoid that they completely ignored for months on end. So, as far as the numbers go, retail sales were unchanged in July, so zero. The expectation was for a 0.1% increase, so slightly below expectation. Falling gasoline prices basically pulled the total retail sales numbers way down. Retail and food sales excluding gasoline and autos rose 0.7% from June to July. Now, I've explained this before when talking about retail sales, but I always have to assume that there are new listeners, or maybe you forgot, so I'm going to explain it again. Retail sales are expressed in dollar amounts. Uh, They're not inflation-adjusted, so they reflect both units sold and rising prices. So there are basically two ways that retail sales can go up. Consumers can buy a larger quantity of stuff. And then prices of the stuff they're buying can go up. Either one of those or combination of those things will cause retail sales to go up. In other words, just because dollar widget sales increase doesn't mean people bought more widgets. It could be that they bought fewer widgets, but they paid a lot more money for them. Now, conversely, conversely, falling prices could reflect price drops and don't necessarily mean people bought fewer widgets. So over the last several months, rising prices clearly drove retail sales higher. You know, it wasn't that people were out there buying a lot more stuff. The sales numbers were simply reflecting the fact that they were 
paying a lot more money for the stuff they were buying. Uh, they were either buying the same amount of stuff and paying more, or more likely they were actually buying less stuff, but they're still paying more for it. So retail sales numbers went up. Now, in June, virtually all of the increase in retail sales can be accounted for by factoring in price increases. So retail sales were up, but it was inflation-driven. Now, the mainstream spinmeisters brushed off rising prices, and they fo focused exclusively on the fact that consumers were still spending money. Now, with gasoline prices dropping a bunch in July, consumers got a break, right? And the CPI was flat month on month. Retail sales were flat month on month. So it appears that consumers took some of their savings on gasoline and they went out and spent it on stuff they couldn't afford over the last couple of months because they were paying so much at the pump. Now, overall, it was a wash, right? So it should be clear that overall, people aren't generally better off. Retail sales aren't telling us, oh, the consumer's doing great. They're, they're still being battered by prices that have risen 8.5% over the last year. The mainstream financial press wants to have its cake and eat it, too. It wants to report good news no matter what. The punditry virtually ignored rising prices for months and reported that rising retail sales numbers were a good sign for the economy. Now that retail sales have suddenly fallen flat, they've discovered that rising prices impact retail sales, so they can tell us that falling retail sales is still good news because people took that money and spent it on other stuff. No matter how you spin retail sales, though, the real question in my mind is how are people managing to keep spending despite rising prices. Now, Reuters, they will tell you that strong wage gains from a tight labor market are supporting spending. But that's BS. I mean, if you look at the actual wage numbers, yes, nominal wages are increasing quite a bit, but they aren't keeping up with rising prices. Real wages are falling month after month after month. So in reality, Visa and MasterCard are supporting increased spending Americans added another $40.1 billion to their debt load in June. Revolving credit, so that's primarily reflecting credit card debt, rose by another $14.8 billion in June, a sizzling 16% year-on-year increase. To put that into perspective, the annual increase in 2019, that's prior to the pandemic, was 3.6%. So it's pretty clear that with stimulus money long gone, and savings being depleted, Americans have turned to plastic in order to make ends meet as prices continue to skyrocket. So yes, American consumers are continuing to support the economy, as the press keeps telling us, by spending money despite the rising prices, but they're borrowing to do it. And, you know, tomorrow is fast approaching, and with that, depleted savings, higher interest rates, and looming credit card limits. So this is simply not a sustainable trajectory, no matter how the mainstream press tries to spin it. One other tidbit I want to touch on from this week, it was an inauspicious anniversary. Uh, August 15th was the 51st anniversary of Nixon slamming shut the so-called gold window and severing the last ties between the dollar and gold. Now, with the dollar totally untethered, the Fed can now create dollars out of thin air, basically with impunity. And of course, this facilitates the rampant government borrowing and spending we all enjoy today. So, yay, Nixon. Uh, I'll put a, 
article on the show notes page with a little more detail. And uh, I think one of the most interesting aspects of it is the lies that Nixon told uh, when he announced this policy. So check that out. It'll be over on the show notes page at shiftgold.com slash news. So I mentioned there's a couple of things I wanted to get to. I've been trying to get to them for the last two or three weeks. So I want to touch on those real quick. First, I, a while back, I ran across something a friend of mine wrote, and I want to share it with you because it illustrates a big problem that a lot of people have when it comes to trying to break down economic issues. So my friend starts out pointing out that he is a student of Austrian economics, and I am as well. So I I totally agree with what he's saying here. And he writes, in that framework, any change in inputs leads to a multivariate economic recalculation and then a new decision. It's a very complex view. The progressive community leans toward the simplistic view of the Keynesian economists and modern monetary theory. They rely heavily on certain paribus, the assumption that if you change an input, all of the other inputs remain equal and recalculation does not occur. As he puts it, it's simple and it makes analysis easy, but Sesame Street easy. It's the reason they always have the deer in the headlights, unintended consequences excuses at the ready. I say this to say this, the Biden-Schumer-Mansion-Build-Back-Better 2.0 disaster looks like a loser to anybody whose economic analysis is deeper than a birdbath. The Austrians see many more of their interrelationships when you put the hammer down on the producers and employers to fund policies that have limited market traction and are not organically self-sustaining. If you watch the Keynesians and the MMT simpletons on your major media outlets, they will loudly proclaim no new taxes because they refuse to acknowledge price hikes in your shopping cart due to increased cost of tax compliance of the producers as a tax. All other things held equal. I charge businesses more by eliminating tax advantages to investment, but that's as far as it goes. They won't respond other than to pay what I tell them to pay. They won't raise prices. They won't reduce costs in any other area like labor. There is no multivariate recalculation. They simply pay more, and you and I don't. So while it's true that tax rates don't go up on those making less than $400,000, they will pay most of the tax volume enhancements being charged to producers of the goods they buy. And some will pay with their jobs. Many of you voted for this and you are cheering it on because the economic simpletons they are trotting out in front of you tell you that you should. So thank you to my friend Andrew for that. I think he hits the nail on the head. There is a lack of sophistication in the way uh, the mainstream punditry, the political class, the way they explain economics. Everything's equal. uh, Nothing changes but these few factors, and they never think about all of the interrelated parts. And and as Andrew alludes to it, this is difficult. I mean, I struggle with it. I focus a lot on the Fed. It's not just the Fed. There are other factors involved. I think the Fed is the biggest factor when it comes to monetary policy. But the economy is complex, and it's interrelated, and you can't always just rely on simple uh, simple calculations. And that's why central planning always fails, because there's no way to account for all of the variables. 
So I want to wrap the show up with, honestly, a subject I'm a little reluctant to even get into because I'm going to get emails. And, and I like getting emails, but I don't like getting the emails that say, Michael, you're a dum-dum. <laughs> and those are the emails that I'm going to get. Because I want to talk a little bit about price manipulation in the gold and silver markets. Now, you know, people assert to me all the time that the markets are manipulated in gold and silver. But rarely do they explain to me what exactly they mean. Mostly, I think it's this inferred kind of vague conspiracy theory that's really just to kind of shame me um, for advocating and investing in gold and silver. You know, it's kind of like, oh, Michael, you know that these markets are manipulated. It reminds me a little bit of my stepdad. When I was growing up, I loved watching football, still love watching football. And my stepdad thought football was dumb, and he thought sitting in front of the TV watching people play football was a waste of time. So every once in a while, he would go on this rant about how all these football games are fixed anyway. So why am I even wasting my time? Now, he never provided any evidence that all of the games are fixed. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. I, I don't think they are. But I mean, I guess he could be right. But he really wasn't trying to make an argument. He was just trying to shame me. He wanted to make me feel dumb for spending time watching football. And I kind of feel like that a lot of people that that come at me with the gold manipulation and the silver manipulation thing, uh, that's what they're trying to do. It's a shame tactic. And they don't really have any evidence. Uh, it's just something that, that they can quickly throw out and say. Now, here's the thing. We all know that there is market manipulation in gold and silver. I mean, we just had two former JP Morgan employees convicted, right? They were convicted of futures market manipulation. They were engaging in what is commonly called spoofing, which basically means they were rapidly placing orders with the intent to cancel those orders before the trade. So this creates the illusion of demand because all of this is, is by computers, right? So the computers see this. So it creates an illusion of demand and it influences prices in the the immediate term, right? This allows the spoofer who knows how the spoof is going to impact the markets to cash in. Now, here's the thing about spoofing. It can be used to drive prices up or down. Everybody just assumes that manipulation means prices are going to be held lower. But, you know, a bunch of spoofed buy orders could drive up the price and allow the spoofers to settle shorts. So, you know, it's kind of like gas prices. Whenever gas prices start going up really fast, you always get a bunch of people that are screaming about how it's the greedy oil companies and they're manipulating the price and they're just raising prices because they're greedy, evil oil companies. You never hear anybody say anything at all when prices start going down really, really fast, you know. And if these people had the capability of constantly raising prices, why would prices ever fall? Nobody's ever been able to answer that question. That, that's kind of how this feels, right? Um, it's, it's always about prices going down, never going up. Now, the thing about this kind of manipulation is that I'm certain it happens in every market from stocks to bonds to commodities to Bitcoin. So if this kind of thing is your argument against buying gold and silver, well, 
you really can't invest in anything, right? You just have to keep your cash under your mattress. No, wait, that won't work either because the Fed is manipulating dollars as a matter of policy. So, I mean, you're kind of hosed. Now, the real question, and I think what people are driving at when they're talking about price manipulation, is whether there is a concerted manipulation by some shadowy figures, whether in the government or uh, you know the, the New World Order or whatever, uh, that are keeping the price of gold and silver perpetually low. And I suppose there could be. I can't prove that there's not. You can certainly put together anecdotal evidence that would make it appear that this is happening. I can make a compelling argument. But have you ever talked to a flat earther? I mean, honestly, they can make compelling arguments as well because it's all based on kind of this this speculation and, and things that are very difficult to nail down. I'm I'm the kind of person I, I need something that I can nail down before I'm really gonna be convinced. So honestly, I'm generally just not inclined to argue about it. I'm going to operate on the assumption, and this is how I do operate, that over the long term, the market will sort things out, that markets will settle to a proper equilibrium. It's like I've often said about economics. Economics wins in the end. Psychology and manipulation and uh, you know misunderstanding can can impact the markets in the short run, irrationality, but over time, economics wins. I think over time, markets win, especially in a market that's as big as gold and silver. It'd be very, very difficult to really, truly manipulate the price over the long term. Now, if you're convinced otherwise, and you don't want to buy, buy um, you don't want to buy gold or silver for that reason, that's cool. Uh, as I said, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time trying to change your mind. You might be right. You probably aren't, but you might be. I mean, here's the thing. If they are manipulating the price down, they're not very good at it. Because if you consider since the year 2000, the uh, price averaged about, or in 2000, the price averaged about 275 bucks, And we're at, um, you know, between 1750 and 1800 now. So, um I don't know. I guess you could argue it should be could be much higher. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not inclined uh, to argue about this. Now, you know, if, to be honest, I think the more significant manipulation, if that's what you want to call it, is psychological. You know, for instance, the idea that the Fed is going to be able to raise interest rates enough to fight inflation. That has created a lot of headwinds for gold over the last several many months. That, in some ways, is psychological manipulation or maybe a, a misunderstanding. And again, that's one of those things that I think over time, in the long run, economics will win. Again, I could be wrong. I don't have a crystal ball here, right? I'm operating on my understanding of economics, my understanding of human nature, my understanding of history. I could be wrong. So whatever I say, do the research for yourself. Look it up for yourself. Find your own data. Make your own decisions. I'm not here to try to manipulate you into believing. I'm telling you what I think. Um, and, you know, I've got good reasons to believe that. And you can weigh the evidence that I give you and, and go from there. Um, the, the question always is, when, when it comes to this kind of psychological or market or 
market irrationality. Can it last forever? So my recommendation when it comes to the gold and silver market, you know, obviously uh, I'm working for Shift Gold. Um, ultimately, I'd like you to buy gold and silver. I buy gold and silver. I'm not just saying this because, you know, they're, they're paying me to do a podcast. I am a believer in what I'm saying. So if what I'm saying makes sense to you and you feel like maybe precious metals should be part of your portfolio, certainly don't take my word for it, talk to a Shift Gold precious metal specialist. Give them a call, 1-888-GOLD-160. Email them, info at shiftgold.com, or just go to the Shift Gold website and hit the Getting Started tab, and you can chat with the, uh, with one of, these, one of these guys right there online. And they'll help you understand, they'll look at your portfolio, your gold, goals, your investment strategies, and they'll help you see how precious metals may fit in. Um, it's a free phone call got nothing to lose so that's my recommendation take what old Meharry here says with the grain of salt hopefully i'm providing good information helping people think helping people understand um but you know i'm not claiming to be uh, moses on mount sinai here so with that let's call this a gold wrap for this week and of course you can get more details on the stories that i've talked about and of course a lot more over shiftgold.com slash news if you haven't done it already you can subscribe to the friday gold wrap on apple podcast on stitcher uh we're on youtube links to all of this stuff you'll find on the show notes page you can always send me an email please don't tell me michael is a dumb dumb but if you've got something substantive to say shoot me an email mmaharry at shiftgold.com m-m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y and i hope you have a fantastic weekend. I thank you for listening to the show and I hope you enjoy it.